Praise God, everybody. Hallelujah. God is good. Are you ready for a holiday um, week? You're in the middle of it. I can't believe we're right in the middle of the summer. It has, um, it's rolling by too fast, isn't it? And has anybody seen a flag or two out on the property? Somebody's like, uh, is this kind of over the top? Um, you know, you know when, you, when you see a flag, I don't know what your first thoughts are. I'll, I'll share what mine typically are. When I, when I see the American flag, my first thoughts usually are about the people who have sacrificed their life for our freedom in the United States. For the freedom of those who love our nation and for the freedom of those who maybe are not like in our nation right now, there's still somebody paid a price for you to have that freedom. And, you know, when it comes to first responders, when it comes to the military, when it comes, you know, to the politicians that are sacrificing in, 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 in civic service, I think it's so important for the church to love them, support them, care for them, acknowledge them. And when we get a chance to do it, I think we should celebrate them. I really do. So can we celebrate our military? Yes. Amen. You know, our church supports those who serve us. And it's one of the reasons why we uh, take time on, on this day and typically other days uh, to encourage you so that you'll know that we care about the unreached people in the other nations of the world, but we also care about our own nation. We care about our own community. And so our relationship with the fire department that's right down the road, with the city police department, is so important to us. And they, they partner with us to reach people. I think we ought to be good citizens. Can you say amen to that? And I think, I think we ought to be the best citizens because of the one that we represent. I mean, I, we, you, you know we're dual citizens, right? We, we are American citizens, but we're also citizens of heaven. And, you know, the Lord loves the nations. And so, He loves America. Some of you maybe are not really happy with America right now, but I'm, I can guarantee you this, God loves America, and we ought to love what God loves. And so, I want to encourage you to love your nation, love your heritage. I know why people want to come here. They have opportunities to come. I don't blame them for coming. You know, um, the fire trucks are out there. A soldier's child uh, trucks and van is out there. Next week, a soldier's child will begin their journey camp. I think it's in two weeks, right, Daryl? You begin one week, and then journey camp will begin where they'll be gathered 100-plus young people who have uh, lost somebody in military service. It's pretty amazing what God has done through a soldier's child. And we celebrate that. Also, you know, Pastor James is sitting up here in the front row, and I know most of you probably don't know this, but not too long ago, Pastor James came to me and said, I just really feel like God's calling me to be involved in the community better. I want to go to school to learn how to be a chaplain for the Murfreesboro Police Department. 
And your pastor, James, sitting on the front row with Laura right here, is now an active chaplain working with the police department right now. Yeah. And, and so if you don't think that's important, you ought to ask Zach, he's in uniform just right over there, about how important it is that they feel supported. Also, there are times that they pay the price. I'm just telling you, first responders go into situations that uh, are so dangerous for us, and they stand between the severity of sin and calamity, and they stand between it for us so that we don't have to be involved in so many things that are so challenging. I love that. My boat is out there. I don't know if y'all saw my boat. <laughs> Stay off of it. <laughs> I got a picture of um, little Vala got her hands on my boat wrap, and that's like she's praying over my boat. I'm like, I hope she is praying over it because I want to catch a 10-pounder, and I haven't caught one yet. And so, but just this week, I really want you to pray for me because, you know, I, I volunteered to be the chaplain of the Army Bass Anglers and that military group, that big outdoors group, because I'm passionate about the outdoors, always have been since I was a child. And so I saw it as a great opportunity for me to do what I do best, which is love God and love others and then spend it helping people in the outdoors. And, and so, as you guys know, I've been involved in this, and this uh, coming week, in fact, I fly out tomorrow morning, and I'm going to be um, the speaker at a camp, a bereavement camp, called Camp Agape in Bernie, Texas, which is just north of San Antonio, Texas. And this is a, this is a, it's Camp Agape, it's a grief recovery camp, and there'll be, the children there are going to be the ages of 7 and 12. And all of the children at this camp, they have lost either a mother or a father or a grandparent or a brother or a sister within the last 12 months. Some of them as soon as a month ago or two months ago. And so these children are all coming to this camp. It's very similar to what a soldier's child does on a regular basis. And so they've asked me to come and speak to the children and encourage them. Camp Agape brings one counselor for every child. Yesterday at prayer, uh, we had such a sweet time because I asked the people to pray. By the way, there were 90 people here interceding and praying yesterday at Christian Life. Yeah. And so I asked the team yesterday, would y'all just pray for me about this? M my kids were just a little bit younger than that when uh, my first wife, Sandy, died in the automobile accident. I know on Wednesday, because my heart is still so sensitive to to children suffering this kind of loss that I'm going to be standing and ministering to, and I'm going to be revisiting some emotional stuff. I already have a team that has said, I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you, but I could use more prayer, not just for me, but for those children, that they would, this is a Christian camp, that they would come to Jesus, they would find that God is not their enemy, He's their friend, that God doesn't hate them, that God loves them, that God can bring healing to their life no matter what. Everybody? Listen to me, everybody. We need to love the things that God loves. God loves our nation. God loves from the, from the highest, the, the most important, the most educated, to the little children. And he said, let the little children come to me. We need to be involved with that. Amen? So, 
Happy Fourth of July, everybody. We're going to have a great week. Let's be in prayer together and see what God does. Can you say amen to that? All right. So Michael read Acts chapter 11, and this is lesson number six in our Acts series. We're going to do 10 of these. And so the setting here introduces us to the church in Antioch. It's very interesting because the, it says in verse 26 that for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and they taught them in great numbers, and the disciples were uh, called first or first called Christians in Antioch. They were first called Christians in Antioch. I want to take an entire Sunday morning and I want to teach you about what I consider to be this model church. If you read the book of Acts like you're just reading through a narrative or a collection of stories, and you don't see, if you, if you read it and you don't look for the truth and for patterns and standards and for God's heart to be revealed, then you'll miss so much. Because this is not just a historical document. It's so much more. Those, the stories have meanings. And for me, as a pastor of a local congregation, I want, us to, I, want to, I want us to live up to the model. I want us to get back to the beginning. It's so important for us to do this. There's a guy named Barry Whistler who's a very good friend of mine. He's the founder of HarvestNet out of Pennsylvania. And this is a network of churches. that They're planting churches around the globe. He and I served together on a team under Alan Vincent. I'm taking some of you way back. Alan Vincent was a spiritual father of mine who was an apostle, a modern-day apostle. He's gone to be with the Lord. And we served on this apostolic team with about 10 other people around the world for a number of years. And, um, and Barry is a great apostolic leader working all around the world. And he and I have had lots of conversations about the model church Antioch. He's written a lot about it, taught a lot about it. He's studied this church and done a bunch of research. And today I'm going to glean off some of the things that we have discussed with one another and things that he teaches in HarvestNet. And so you feel free to look that up if you want to. Uh, I, I, I I want to start by saying this, that when you, when you have a pattern and you, and, and you, and you want the pattern to develop or reproduce or multiply, you need to stay close to the pattern. Let me give you an example of this. When I was a young man, I did a lot of carpenter work. And I was an apprentice carpenter working under a master carpenter, and I'll never forget a really terrible experience, and y'all are willing to laugh at me when it's done. But I had this terrible experience of, of being out on the job site and I was pretty good with a skill saw, but I didn't understand everything about being the carpenter. But there was a master carpenter, and we were laying out the rafters for a new house. It was a huge house. And so um, the master carpenter and his helper got up there, and they measured it out and did the math, and they figured out how long the rafters needed to be and what was the pitch on it, because a rafter goes from a wall to the ridge across the top, and that's what you put the roof on. And so when you cut out a rafter, then you have to cut the angle there. And then at the bottom, it's called the bird mouth that sits on the wall. You have to cut it out perfectly. 
And if the house is, if the framing is laid out completely square and right, then once you get a pattern, you should be able to cut them all the same by using that pattern and everything fits. And so he laid it out and he cut a pattern and he wrote the word pattern on the bottom, uh, on the board. And so the idea was, he said to me, now I want you to cut out all the rafters and use the pattern. Well, I was halfway paying attention to him, but I wanted to, you know, I was so anxious to, uh, to do the job. I got my skill saw out and I took the pattern and I laid it on and I marked it on this end and marked it on that end and I cut it out. I did that about three or four times and I cut it out. Somewhere I was working so fast and so far ahead, I forgot where the pattern was. And I thought to myself, oh, what, can, what harm can it be done? So I just take the board that I cut, cut it out, take it, lay it on the next board, cut it out, take the next one, lay it on. I, I didn't say I was smart. <laughs> I said I was young, apprentice. Well, after about a third of the rafters are up on the wall, all of a sudden, it, they start growing. The bird mouth is not fitting. The pitch up there is just fine. And um, I start hearing really bad four-letter words. And they were coming from the top of the ridge directed at me. And so I'm like, what's the problem? Well, I've done worked ahead so far. I've got all these boards cut, and they've grown. They have drifted from the pattern. And so he's yelling at me because he knew his numbers were right and the pattern should be working but they weren't fitting. I almost lost my job that day. I did learn a really good lesson, that if you have a pattern, the danger is that you drift away from it. And so when you add on and add on and add on, you'll lose the pattern. I think this is the condition of the American church and perhaps the church around the world, that we've lost the pattern. And we thought, well, it doesn't really matter. We like it this way. This is the better way. So we'll just do it. So we add a little length and, and we have a drift. Is anybody with me here? So when we go back to the book of Acts, this is one of the reasons why as a pastor of this church, I was so excited to come back to Acts because I want us to come back to the pattern. I want us to look at the model and I want us, you know, I had to go back and recut all those things. Well, sometimes as church, and I'm evaluating what we do as a church right now. And sometimes you have to come back to the pattern and start all over, and you have to stop with the things that don't match. In the early church, for instance, there was the, the, the organiz, organizational concepts, they were really simple back then, but they were so powerful and so effective. You know, they didn't have any branding or technology. They weren't streaming live. They had no video. I love all that stuff. We're not going to just all of a sudden go back and, and cancel out the usage of all of our technology. But I think what would the early church have been able to do with the tools and resources that we have? And, and but I, what I want, want you to see that this, the, the early church started the movement that's been the strongest movement in the history of mankind. And we have to follow that pattern. And I, 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 what I have for us now, you've, if you've got your Acts notebook, I'm going to give you 10 markers that I find in the Antioch church that are markers that I am always comparing and evaluating what we do in ministry at Christian Life and how we should help others do the same. 
Okay? So I'm going to give you markers. This, we're going back to the pattern. Okay? And here's the first marker. The church at Antioch was a healthy church. I want you just to write that down. You could even underline the word health. Because I think in the day and age that we live in right now, there is this thrust, there's this drift towards numbers instead of health, towards expanding big instead of being healthy. Now, now I, I have nothing against big churches. I mean, the first mega church was the Church of Jerusalem. Within just a few weeks, it grew to 20,000 people, everybody. If, that, if you don't think that's mega, that's mega. But because it grew so fast and so quick, man, they had to build structure in to help minister to the people. The church, at, the church at Antioch, however, was just so healthy. Here's the thing about the Bible. I love, one of the things I like, love about the Bible is the Bible is an honest book. It's one of the reasons why, it's one of the evidences it was written by God, because God, if, if this was just propaganda, there would, there would not be such transparency in the Bible. This, this is not just a book of propaganda to try to advance Christianity. This is a book that tells you like it is. In fact, uh, the, the Bible lists several churches, and it, and it describes all the churches and their faults. What were their problems? I mean, the risen Jesus shows up to John, and he sends a letter, the revelation, to seven churches surrounded around the area of Turkey, and he said that unless you fix some of these things, your light, your, your fires might just, on the candle might just go out. Here we are in 2023, and of course, the, the Christian witness in Turkey now is very challenging. Thank God for Lisa Green is there, one of ours that's serving uh, missions on the, um, in, the, in Turkey itself. But the church at Corinth, for instance, they had a lot of power, but they had so many problems that it warranted two letters from the Apostle Paul of correcting their issues, of, of, of things being out of order. The church at Rome had sin problems. So interesting that they needed a doctrinal adjustment. The church at Galatia was struggling with the basics of salvation, and they were tempted to go into legalism. So Paul writes to—you realize that all the epistles of Paul, he's writing to correct church issues. And at Galatia, they, they, had to t they were tempted towards legalism. Um, Thessalonica was confused about the second coming. All right? Ephesus was a great church, but, you know, is in, in the book of Ephesus that we're talking about not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit, about husbands being um, to love their wives and wives love their husbands. Taught, we, we also are given a structure— of leadership of the fivefold ministry in Ephesus because they needed to be taught. I want you to see this. In Colossians, they battled with what's called Gnosticism. I don't have time to teach it, but basically they, they, they were confused about the deity of Christ. And so the book of Colossians is all about the deity of Christ. Nowhere in the history, in church history, or in the Scripture have we been able to find a criticism about the church at Antioch. Now, this is interesting because the Church of Antioch was the first international church that blew up and was—it was a movement that started. There were ministries that thrust out of Antioch that lasted for centuries. It's very interesting whenever you study this. And so, I realized that, you know, like Barry says, we, we're kind of making an argument for silence, so I, from silence, so I'm not taking it too far. 
I know the Bible is silent on this issue, so I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, get out in Never Neverland with my presuppositions, but I do see that almost all of the churches that we see, there was some level of correction, but at Antioch, there was this amazing ministry that took the gospel around the world. And I want to talk to you about that because in order for that to happen, they had to have a healthy church. And healthy leaders produce healthy churches. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Would you agree with me on that, everybody? I mean, I think that's, I think that's so true. And, and I, it's important because healthy leaders there dealt with confusion and church problems so much. In fact, we read last week that, that they had this big council in Jerusalem. Do you remember that last week? And the issue was, should the Gentiles be circumcised? And should we require them to keep the law of Moses? And some of the Jews that, that were believers in Jesus wanted a mixture. They wanted this hybrid of Christianity and Judaism and was demanding that the Gentiles be circumcised. Well, Antioch was a church that just blew up. Now, let me show you where this is. Put, it on, put the map up. I want to just remind you. I want you to see how far. It started first in Jerusalem, right? Jesus said, you're my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. And now up in Antioch is where this church has gotten rooted and established. And they're winning. So many Gentiles are coming to the Lord in Antioch. Here's Sarsis where Barnabas went and got Paul and said, can you come and help me teach all these believers in Antioch? And so what I want you to see is that it was from that church in Antioch up there where, where some people, some people from Jerusalem, some leaders, they left Jerusalem, went all the way up here, and they started demanding that in this big church that was growing like crazy that all the men needed to be circumcised. And they all needed to start uh, obeying the law of Moses. So the leaders at this healthy church said, you know what, let's figure this out. Let's send a team down to Jerusalem to meet with James, the chief elder of the church at Jerusalem, and let's discuss this. That's last week's sermon. The issue that I'm wanting you to see is that they dealt with church issues. And they sent their finest down there and said, we will follow whatever um, the council decides. And they submitted to the council that came back. Church health is so important. We want that more than anything else. Listen, we are imperfect people. So in an imperfect, where there's a gathering of imperfect people, there are going to be issues that have to be dealt with. There, and, and, and so to, to think that there won't be is just crazy. We just need to know that a healthy church is willing to confront challenges and find resolution. I, I, I feel like right now that our church, and I've been pastoring this church, it'll be 30 years next August, a year from August, 30 years. And we're the founding pastors of this church. And I believe right now our church is the healthiest that it has ever been. We have the healthiest staff. We have the healthiest congregation. And I believe spiritually we are the healthiest we've ever been. And we ought to give God glory for that right now, everybody. So, we're going to run through this. So, get out, your, get out your notebook and write a few things down. Number one, it was a healthy church. Number two, it was at Antioch where the disciples of Jesus were first called Christians. 
Now, this, this is really important because I don't want you to miss this because they were called like little Christ. It was, it was a, derogatory, a derogatory accusation because the religious leaders felt like that they had killed Jesus, and now all of a sudden they got all these little Jesus people popping up. And they're going around doing all the things that Jesus was doing. They're casting out devils. Hello, they're healing the sick. And they're announcing that the kingdom of God has come. And they thought they had silenced him. They thought they killed him. They didn't realize that it was all part of God's plan. And that now the risen Christ is ruling and he has thrust forth his disciples into the ministry. Jesus said, these things I'm doing, you're going to do, and even greater, because you're going to spread out all over the world and the Holy Spirit's going to empower you to accomplish the same things that I'm doing. Maybe not as powerfully with his authority, but collectively together more powerfully than he could do by himself. And so the Christians just wore it as a badge of honor. You're making fun of us, but yeah, I'm a Christ follower. I'll take that nickname. I am a Christian. Can, can I just tell you something, everybody? Uh, the, to be Christians, a Christ follower that's recognized, that recognizes the character of Christ in us, that really is our, our goal. Our, our goal is that we are casting out demons, healing the sick, and announcing that the kingdom of God has come. If, we, if we're, we're going to come back to the pattern, because I'm just telling you, there's been a drift away from the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is you're going to go in faith, with power, testifying about me, believing for the, the power and the confirmation of God's Word that you are preaching, announcing the kingdom. It has never been—the Great Commission was never like, go and build a gathering of people and make an appeal for individual salvation. And when people raise their hand and vote for Jesus, then baptize them in water and set them in church and then take care of them for the rest of their life until they go to heaven. That's not the vision for the church, but that's really the church in America is that let's get everybody in, let's get them under our authority, let's take care of them, let's feed them, let's burp them, let's change their diapers, let's give them a bottle, let's cook them meals, let's visit them when they're in the hospital, let's just take care of them, and, let, and let's help them make it to heaven. This is not the church that Jesus was building. Jesus was building a church that would confront the devil, a church that was much stronger than what we see here today. Now, I like personal, you know, salvations. I get that, everybody. But I'm just telling you that the goal is, produ is to produce bold disciples who are like little Jesus, people who are real Christians, who are real followers. Come on, everybody, fully converted, obedient disciples who look like him, act like him, talk like him, and work like him. That's what the goal is. And, and I, can I just tell you, we have a challenge on our hands. I'm, I'm just telling you, we have a challenge. But we're not giving up because the challenge is mighty. Amen? I'm calling you into the army of God. I'm calling you to come up higher. I'm saying that being a church goer is not enough in the day and age that we live in. We have got to be madly in love with Jesus and boldly confronting the works of the devil. Number three, at Antioch, 
The church overcame racial and ethnic barriers for the sake of the kingdom and for the sake of his name. Listen, everybody, one, one great factor in the success of the church at Antioch, now I'm talking about a church that existed for centuries, over a couple hundred years. We'll get to it a little bit later, but I want you to know that this was a powerful church that impacted the world. And one of the keys to their unity was that there was this, there was this variety of ethnic and racial people that loved one another and got along in a world that was full with hatred and division and ethnic uh, conflict. But yet at Antioch, if you do a little study, there's a list that's given. There were Jews and Gentiles and Africans and Greeks and rich and poor and educated and non-educated, and they were all in unity. It's pretty amazing. And they actually agreed on the major doctrinal issues, and they agreed on how to do missions. They agreed on uh, who to send, where to send them, and how to support them. Antioch became the launching pad for the kingdom of God that was taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. The church of Jerusalem was under in constant and difficult persecution, but from Antioch, they were able to launch ministries. The whole, everybody, I want you to get this, because the Holy Spirit is a spirit of reconciliation, and this willingness to overcome cultural biases led to a great movement. Let me read this to you. He read, Michael read it. I'm going to read it again. There were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they went to Antioch and began to speak to, to, to Greeks also, and they're telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of them believed and turned to the Lord. This is really pretty amazing when you take a minute and look at the cultural background to what is being said right here. We know that Cyprus is an island out in the Mediter Mediterranean Sea, but most of you probably don't know where Cyrene is. Cyrene has actually uh, existed in where modern-day Libya is. It was a port city in the southern part of the Mediterranean Sea on the northern coast of where Libya is right now. So the gospel had traveled from Jerusalem across Ethiopia and Egypt, or across Egypt into with modern-day Libya, and there were believers there. And, and, and in fact, here's an interesting fact. Simon, the man that they thrust into the service of carrying the cross for Jesus, he was called Simon the Cyrene. So Simon was a believer, he was a Jewish guy that had traveled to Jerusalem from Cyrene, and he actually carried the cross for Jesus up Golgotha. Later, Mark identifies um, Simon's two sons, and he identifies them as being men of God that were working in ministry. So what, what Simon witnessed when he carried the cross of Jesus, he obviously gave his life to the Lord, and the whole family came to the Lord. And now there's this active ministry where this man is—these men are traveling to Antioch to the home church, and they are preaching the gospel to the Greek community all around Macedonia. This is incredible how the gospel spread. And so I want you to see this. It's so important. 
I think in America today, we still have black churches and white churches and Spanish churches, and now there's a new phenomenon. We got cowboy churches. You know, I don't have anything against black churches or white churches or Spanish churches or even cowboy churches. But can I just say that we should not have to separate ourselves. If you, can I just, listen, okay. Let me make my point first, everybody. (laughs) I'm just saying, if you want to wear jeans and cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, you can come here and be comfortable here worshiping with us. You don't have to go somewhere where you just only are with people that, that look like you, act like you, talk like you. It wasn't that way in Antioch. There were people from all over the place. There were Jews and Gentiles and black and white. There were Africans and Macedonians. I'm just telling you, there were slaves and slave and, and non-slaves. There were educated and, and non-educated people. And God put them together in one family, and God used the unity and harmony that they had and started a movement. We have drifted away from the pattern, everybody, and we need to come back to the model that we see in the book of Acts. Now, can you give the Lord praise for that? I'm not saying people shouldn't reach their own. I get it. If it's an evangelistic outreach mentality, that's fine. But we should not be separating ourselves because of our pet biases. Here's, where am I at? Number four. Here's another thing about the model church at Antioch. The gift of prophecy was prominent in Antioch's history. Now, this is really important. I want you to see this, everybody, because prophecy is not as complicated as we want to make it. Prophecy is the prophetic. It basically could be boiled down to this, that God speaks, you hear it, and you repeat what God has said. You hear what he is speaking rightly, and at the right time to the right people, you repeat what God has said. That's the basics of the prophetic. God speaks to his people. Now, is that so complicated, everybody? It's not. Then why has the majority of churches in America drifted away from the model? Because at Antioch, the prophetic was celebrated, that people were engaged in it. They wanted to hear what God was saying, and they judged it, and then they came into harmony and unity, and they used the prophetic as a launching pad for great ministry. Acts 11, verse 27, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus, by the way, you say down, wasn't that up? Well, uh, Jerusalem was higher and geographically, so and technically they went down. Okay. And one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread all over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. So there's a, so they, they received this prophet. He gives a prophecy, famine is coming. And they believed it, received it, had witness in it, and they started preparing on how to best minister to people when the famine hits. I'll show you that in just a few moments. It was also by a prophetic word that the Spirit separated Paul and Barnabas to, to be sent out to do missionary work, Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius from Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And, and while 
they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, so the Holy Spirit is speaking prophetically, He said, separate for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. And Antioch, the Christians that Antioch in the church, they prayed, fasted, and they sent them into the work they were doing. And this came from a prophetic word. To, to, I just, today I just see this such a terrible drift in the modern day church that we don't like the pattern. And so it doesn't work best for us. So we just leave the rafter down on the ground and we just cut our own pattern. And we just form it. Or we've done it accidentally. I don't know if it's intentional or not. But we've got into this comfort because pastors are afraid of the prophetic because people are crazy. And there's always somebody going to abuse the gift. And so it takes a lot of work to help people, you know, be, uh, well, be true to the prophetic word and identify the prophetic word. People get offended. I'm not asking for a bunch of people to start giving me a bunch of congregational shout outs of thus saith the Lord. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? Everybody, listen, in August, when we get done with this, how about we take the month of August and we just study the prophetic and how it should operate in a local church? How many of you would like to do that? Okay, those of you who didn't raise your hand during the month of August, go find another church (laughs) and then come back in September because in the month of August, we're going to study the prophetic. I'm just kidding. That was kind of rude. Okay, number five. The Antioch church was given an incredible balanced ministry from the fivefold ministry gifts. You're writing this down. I hope you do. You remember Ephesians 4.11? We talked this at the beginning of the year that we are—this year we're going to focus a lot on on equipping, equipping in discipleship, equipping in marriage, equipping our children, equipping our teenagers. And so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There's five office gifts. And he gave them to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. When you study the church at Antioch, they had all five of these gifts were just naturally, organically, um, had been raised up and were operating. There were apostles and prophets. We just read about it. There were pastors and teachers. And they were doing incredible evangelistic work. And so we read it, verse 1, uh, Acts chapter 13, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and they responded to that. Paul and Barnabas were not just teachers. They operated as apostles and were sent out to do evangelistic work. And of course, a healthy church has pastors that are shepherding and leading. So at Antioch, there were these five-fold ministry gifts. I know that I know there are a lot of people that believe and teach that there are no longer any, any gifts like the apostles and prophets. I'm not, see, I'm just talking about how easy it is to drift away from the model. Because if the book of Acts was given to us as a model, then we should be striving and embracing what the early church looked like. I mean, after all, they were reaching the world. And we're just trying to reach neighborhoods. And because they had apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists, and they were all working together and training and equipping God's people they didn't know any better. They just like, let's just take this message and be witness, his witnesses around the world. And so I, I want to encourage you uh, to embrace 
the fivefold ministry gifts. We'll talk about some of this in the next month. Here's number six. The church at Antioch knew that it didn't exist just for itself. These are the things that I'm teaching you today that keep me on my knees. These are the things that keep me coming back when I give, our, when I evaluate our ministry and look at our report card. These are the things that keep me coming back because the church at Antioch knew it didn't just exist for itself. Antioch was a generous church, a giving church. In fact, it was so incredible. You know, remember I told you about Agabus? He came and he prophesied a famine is coming. The next couple of verses, you know what it says? It says, so the church at Antioch started taking up collections in advance of the famine. Now, think about this for a moment. They got a word from God. A famine's coming. It was a prophetic word. They hadn't seen it. They embraced this prophetic word, and they start collecting money because they knew that Jerusalem church was under intense persecution. This, this just shows you the heart of this church at Antioch. And so they knew, hey, God has blessed us. We are thriving. Let's receive money. And they sent offerings with Paul and Barnabas down to the Jerusalem church. And when the famine hit and people were struggling, starving to death, that didn't just happen at Antioch. Paul took on this project, and he went all around during his missionary journeys and said, don't forget your, about your brothers in Jerusalem. Don't forget about them. And in fact, Titus was commissioned to go and collect money. Can I just tell you something? I am never going to, I am never going to apologize for raising money for the kingdom of God. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to apologize for it. We should get back to the model. Stop drifting away to the point where everything I have is mine, and you give the Lord a tip every now and then. You should obey the Lord. And when he asks you to give and invest, and it comes from a prophetic word, I want to encourage you to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Listen, everybody, everything God has given us as a church is for the purpose of giving it away. Listen to me, we're not sitting on $2 million because we want to just keep raising funds for ourselves. Now, we have an emergency fund at Christian Life because we don't want to, every time we have a hiccup or we need to replace something, we have to start coming to you for an offering. Okay, we're using wisdom, but we're never going to stockpile a bunch of money just for the sake of having money. If God gives it to us, it's going out. We are investing in the world. We don't exist for ourselves. We're going to give it away. Not only did they—hey, everybody, listen. Not only did they give away their money, they gave away their best leaders. I know lots of pastors, including myself, that's like, oh, Lord, please don't take them away from me. But at Antioch, they were laying hands on their best leaders and sending them out in mission. They were planting them in churches. You know why? Because they, had, they knew how to train leaders. Incredible things were happening at this church. At Antioch, some of this might sound redundant, but it's a little different. I want you to write this down. At Antioch, the Christian church first focused on the world. See, the Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. Remember, the, the book of Acts is about the ongoing work of Jesus by the Holy Spirit through His church. And the ongoing work of Jesus is to fulfill the Great Commission. 
And the, the Spirit of God, this is what Jesus said. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the mother postmarks of the earth. This is Acts 1.8. And can I, everybody look at me here just a second. So I got saved kind of towards the end of the charismatic movement down in South Louisiana. And there were some amazing things that the Holy Spirit was doing back in that day. I mean, the Holy Spirit would just descend and people would just fall under the, in, under the power of the presence of God. I mean, I mean, I witnessed many times where people would just spontaneously start getting free of demons. I'm talking about manifesting and people getting free. I saw, I, you know, I saw healings that took place that are mind-blowing. And what God was doing back in those days was so exciting. I just used to love to just go and sit in some of those charismatic meetings when God was doing such amazing thing and just soak it all in. I remember one time when there was, and people ridiculed this, but there was something to it. There was a move of God that became abused, but it happened where God just baptized the church with joy. I lived through that. Where, where people would just start, there would just be a spirit of joy come upon a congregation like I'm preaching right now, and I would have just lost control because all of you just be rolling and laughing and enjoying the spirit. I'd even stop preaching. But you know, because we're so dumb and we, and we try to make something happen, it turned into, into people trying to force to reproduce that. Sometimes God manifests something and it's for that day and not for those years. And when you try to reproduce something, then all of a sudden the Spirit's not there and it's a bunch of phony fake stuff. But I lived through all of that, and I love, I love the presence of God. I love seeing people fall out under the power of God. I love seeing miracles and all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. If you take evangelism and you take the gospel presentation out of the Holy Ghost experience, then your Holy Ghost experience has just become self-centered and then you're making it all about you. And that's what has happened because the church has drifted away from Acts 1-8. And 1-8, Acts 1-8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to become my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm calling our church back to this. A few years ago, the Lord said, look, start focusing on unreached people groups. That's what we need to be spending our money, our time, and our partnership with everybody because we still have work to do, and we have the power to do it. Y'all were so quiet, I thought I was going to get a big amen. Antioch sent out church missionaries to the nations before their own city was completely reached. I hear this sometimes. Every now and then somebody will say, I don't know why we're spending thousands of dollars overseas whenever our own city is not reached. Well, I'm just following the model here because we, it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and. We can invest in our city. You know, we, we can become a chaplain for the police department. Hello, everybody. We can teach Bible studies on the campus. We can do all the things here that we need to do to reach our city and at the same time be focusing on the world. That's what they did at Antioch. Amen? Here's number eight. The Holy Spirit called the whole church to apostolic ministry. There's that big apostolic word again. I'm not talking about the apostolic denomination. I'm not talking about some phony apostolic stuff. I'm just saying the word apostolic simply means the sent ones. 
So the word apostle is a sent one. So the whole church got involved in the sending out of their members of their congregation into evangelistic ministry, into discipleship ministry. We just read it a while ago. They laid hands. They heard a prophetic word. They laid hands and they sent them out. You may not realize this, but the church history tells us that there were as many as 30 people that traveled with, with Saul who became Paul in his missionary journeys, which we're about to start studying. And a lot of them were professionals. We know that Luke was with them. By the way, uh, some people believe that, that Antioch became uh, the home base for Luke in his ministry, his medical ministry there. And it's pretty amazing that, that it was from Antioch that the church laid hands and they sent out teams of missionaries. I remember what Paul said. He said, how can a person believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how, Romans 10, 15, and how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Some people say many are sent, some just went. And I believe that, everybody listen to me, I love parachurch ministries. I know God's, God raises up people to do their own ministries, but what you find in the book of Acts is that almost all ministry came through a local church, and they were accountable to the leadership of that local church. And we see that this was a pattern. In fact, when they left a local church and they went on their own, they usually were causing trouble. Remember, we studied it last week. James says there were some people that went out from us, but they were not sent by us. And they brought trouble upon you by preaching something that we were not preaching. This is why whenever the council was, was finished, James wrote a letter, and it was endorsed, and they, they transcribed this and carried these letters because they wanted them to know that they were, they, they were sent with the authority that's there. We've had a drift, everybody, because churches don't care about sending their best. They're too, they're too stingy. They're not generous when it comes to sending leaders out. We want to be a sending church. Can you say amen, everybody? Ascending church. An, that's an apostolic church. All right. Number nine. I'm almost done. For centuries, the church at Antioch was a center for training leaders. Now, I, 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 you, you have to study church history to get this. And, you know, um, Pastor Barry, a great friend of mine, he has his doctorate in uh, church history. And he does all kinds of research, and he has studied this and was sharing how, that, how, that there were two major schools in the first century that sprung up in Palestine. Uh, one of them was at Antioch. The other one was in, I think it was in Alexandria, and it got into a bunch of Gnosticism, and it kind of fell apart. But the school at Antioch, for centuries was raise, raising up and training leaders. They were teaching theology and all kinds of ministry. Some of us think, well, those people were not nearly as smart as we are today. Oh, oh listen, everybody, you're so wrong about that. Just because we have some modern technology doesn't mean those people didn't understand the kingdom of God in the Scriptures. They were better equipped. I said this a while ago, that there are so many great documents of Christianity that came out of the church at Antioch. Many believe it was in Antioch when Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and when he wrote the book of Acts, when he was in Antioch operating there. There were, 
you can write this down and look it up if you want to, but there were 10 significant church councils that were called, that convened in Antioch, where they dealt, where they gathered apostles and prophets and teachers, and they resolved church conflicts that were global. Some of the most fascinating church fathers that we have came out of the church at Antioch. And I know I'm kind of over uh, your interests. With some of you might be interested in this, but I, if you love church history, it's so important to understand if we're going to stop the drift and come back close to the pattern. Okay, y'all ready for the last one? Remember, I told you when we started this, these were not going to be like 20 or 25-minute sermonettes. We were going to teach through the book. And I thank you for hanging in here. I know many of you have been commenting of how and how inspired you have been as we're reading through and teaching the book. But here's the last thing. Antioch became a kingdom resource center. It's kind of what we're already talking about. But more than any other church, the church at Antioch became a kingdom resource center. And I just want this so much for Christian life. In fact, I would love to see all the churches in the community of Murfreesboro together become resource centers, where whatever is needed in the kingdom, we have the resources to compile them together. And if famine hits, then we, can, we, will, we will come together and supply for that need. In that resource center, they had a vision for multiplication. Yeah, you want to write these three things down. It had a vision for multiplication. It was united in prayer, and it was committed to training leaders because healthy leaders produce healthy churches. So they were committed to training leaders. This past week, I had the real joy of sitting with our uh, high school interns and just sharing some about ministry life and how to love people, love God and love people. And I was so inspired once again with my heart's desire to have more time and more availability to train leaders. I remember many of you graduated from the School of Leaders that we did several years ago. I've reconnected with that, the School of Leaders curriculum that we wrote and provided, and, and we're really looking forward to initiating back a School of Leaders where we become a resource center training young people that are called into ministry where they don't have to go off or spend all their time online but they get our DNA and they understand how to be a leader at Christian Life. Doesn't that sound right to you, everybody? It sounds right to me. Would you stand to your feet? Some of you may have showed up here today and your relationship with the Lord is just so minimum, minimal, and maybe you're away from God. I don't know. Maybe somebody talked you into coming to church, and we're talking about things that are basically teachings for the body of Christ. I mean, teachings for people that are just so full of God and are going after the things of God. And maybe you're like, well, this, all this stuff is over my head. I don't see the significance of this. You know what I want to do? I just want to, I just, just want to draw your attention to the man in the middle.
You know, on, on the cross, there were three people that were hanging that day. There was a thief to the right, and there was a thief to the left. And then there was a man in the middle. You, you know who should have been the man in the middle? Barabbas. But you remember, they were given the choice. Do you want to crucify Jesus? Do you want to trade? They said, give us Barabbas. Crucify him. I mean, we sang about it so much today when we were worshiping God. He took our place. He paid the price for our sin. It wasn't by chance. It was by God's design. I'll offer his body, his precious, perfect, sinless body as a ransom price to cover the cost of the crimes of your sin nature. And Jesus paid the price so that if we put our faith in him, we could be free. And you, you, and you know what the stamp of approval was? It was the empty tomb. Anybody could say, I'll bear your sins. But only one person is able, was able to be risen from the dead. He took your place, the man in the middle. And he's here today to forgive you, to save you, to give you a future, a life. So if you're in here, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not trying to ridicule, but we're not voting for Jesus, everybody. Listen, we are surrendering our life to him. And if you're here to surrender your life to Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me? Come on, church family, you know how we do this. Let's do it together. Just pray this prayer, God, I need you. I can't save myself. I know heaven is real, so is hell, and I will face eternity. I need to be right with God. So I'm trusting you. Put all my confidence in you. Will you forgive me for my sin? Give me a new heart. Change my life. Cause me to be born again a new person, and I'll serve you to the day I die. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody. Praise Him right now. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hey, if you prayed a simple prayer like that, and you want to know what's next, we have some leaders that will be up here. Uh, and we'll be glad to help you. Or you can send us an email or text us and let us know, hey, I, gave my, I prayed that prayer. I gave my life to the Lord. I want to be trained, equipped to grow in God. And we're going to help you do that, everybody. 
I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Be thinking about me on Tuesday and Wednesday. Maybe say a, a little, spend a little bit of time in prayer, and I'll bring you back a good report when I come back. God bless you, everybody. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your holiday. We'll